Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open throughout the show, 833-804-0910, 833-804-0910. You can always tweet us your thoughts at 910thefan or at AWOD Radio. If it's a good tweet, we'll read it on air. It's time to talk a little playoffs on the fan with the NFL Divisional Round beginning Saturday, January 20th at 4.30 with the Texans at the Ravens and then concluding Sunday night on CBS with the Chiefs traveling to Buffalo to face off against the Buffalo Bills. And joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline from WGR 550 in Buffalo, it's Sneaky Joe. What's going on, Joe? What's up, Adam? Always good to talk. Absolutely, man. So why don't you make the case right away here for why the Buffalo Bills will get it done this time against the Chiefs? Uh, Let's start with the game is finally at Orchard Park. It's finally at home for the Bills. They have played six of their last seven games at Arrowhead Stadium. People are sick of playing there. And it's Mahomes' first road playoff game, which is noteworthy. But for me, it is a combination of the Bills have finally figured out what their warts are on offense and on defense, and they have been able to insulate those problems properly to where their offense is better running the ball, they are getting some of their skill position players more involved outside of Stephon Diggs. And defensively, they finally figured out how to overcome a lot of these injuries that they sustained throughout the season. They are still very injured going into this game, but Sean McDermott has proven to be able to overcome that as a defensive play caller this year. So both sides of the ball, I think, are giving people a lot of confidence. The home game is giving people confidence. The only negative, I think, right now for, for fans and for the team is the injury report. You know, it is Josh Allen against Patrick Mahomes, two superstar quarterbacks, probably two future Hall of Famers. And, you know, I I do think it will come down to, uh, you know, who can use their arm to the best here uh, with, you know, connecting with their wide receivers. But, you know, am I crazy to say, hey, the winner of this matchup could be between the running backs, Pacheco and James Cook, who has the better game? Yeah, so I just to, to summarize, the two running backs, they're very different styles. Pacheco is violent. He is physical. He's had a very good season. James Cook is not very physical. I mean, he is smooth. He is quick. He is very efficient out of the pass game. Um, I think what probably happens is whoever gets an early lead in this game will really have to trust their running game to get it done versus the team playing from behind in this game is going to have to lean in to their superstar quarterback. That can work for both teams. Both Mahomes and Allen are capable of playing that way. But I do think that... first quarter of this game is really going to determine which running back uh, is going to have the better day. We're joined by Sneaky Joe, Joe DiBiase here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Follow him on social media at Sneaky Joe Sports. Can, can you speak on the uh, the story that we're not seeing being reported locally there in Buffalo about Bills fans jumping into a giant pit? Can, can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah, we don't really know if it's even fully true yet because there isn't a lot of substantial reporting around it. There's rumors, right? There's doctors talking to his buddy and then that guy's tweeting about it and, and that kind of takes you know hold and, and it starts to catch wildfire. Uh, we know for sure that somebody jumped into the stadium pit earlier in the year and if you're wondering, the, state, the pit is literally just where they are building the new stadium. It's like a 40-foot hole in the ground right now because they're very early on in the stages and you know, the way Bills fans are, they're nuts, they're superstitious, 
They'll jump off of giant snow piles into a flaming table, which you might have seen on social media last week. <laughs> and listen, I don't know that it's true. Is it possible that fans are, are jumping into the pit, you know, one per week to sacrifice themselves as a, for a Bills win? Uh, I don't want to rule it out, but, yeah, to this point, we, uh, I guess, don't know for sure that it's happening. Joe, what do you think of this coaching matchup? What are the strengths and weaknesses for each guy? Because I know Sean McDermott's first NFL job uh, was with Andy Reid's staff in Philadelphia in 1999. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're going at it again. I mean, these guys have met each other a bunch of times now. They know each other's strengths. They know each other's weaknesses. And for me, what that has been in the past with Sean McDermott is playing a little bit too conservative with his defensive play calling, but it's never been him calling defensive plays. It's always been his defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier. Frazier no longer with the team. McDermott did not hire a DC. He decided to call plays himself. And that has changed in a big way. There are timely blitzes that have worked to the bill for the bills all season long. He has been mixing up coverages more often, trying to confuse the opposing offensive coach. I think he has taken hold of the defense and has done a very good job. And it worked very well against Andy Reid in this first matchup, limiting the Chiefs to 17 points. For Reid, I don't see many weaknesses for him. I just think he's trying to figure out the best he could do with an inferior uh, receiving core that he's had in the past. I mean, Kelsey is not as efficient as he once was. They really wanted Kadarius Toney to be that yak guy, the poor man's Tyreek Hill. That has not happened in any way. But what Reed's figured out as the season has gone on is that Rasheed Rice is his best wide receiver. With the ball in his hands, he's his best wide receiver. With just catching the ball in the first place, he's the best guy they got, getting open. So to me, that's the matchup. How often can Reed get Rice involved with the ball in his hand in open space, and how well can McDermott prevent that from happening? How much do you think the weather is going to be a factor in this game? It's actually not for fans. That's it. Uh, yeah. The game itself, no wind for this game. Um, you know, for you down in Richmond, this might sound like uh, nonsense to say. It's going to be warmer at 25 degrees this week. <laughs> uh, but it is going to be warmer than it was last week. No snow in the forecast, no wind. The only thing fans will have to deal with is it's supposed to snow pretty much from now a Saturday morning, so if you're a fan in the stands, you might have a bunch of snow around you. So that's pretty much the only impact we're looking at. Joe, great stuff, man. Always appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Anytime. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for nonstop UVA action. Of course, who's talking can be heard on the fan every Monday. It's Hobgood, Hobbo, alongside Frank Maloney, and UVA got a big home win over Virginia Tech. And Frank Maloney joins us right now in studio from the Hadid Mercer rug cleaning hot seat. What was the key to that win, Frank? Well, you know, I was there uh, covering the game, and I'll tell you, it was very obvious from the get-go. Jordan Miner is clicking now. He's he's more comfortable with uh, the pack line defense, and he's a lot more comfortable on offense. He's cutting and moving and aggressively going to the rack with authority. And, you know, if he can stay healthy, I think I think Virginia is, can turn a corner and start winning some road games to go along with the home wins. 
I, I agree with you. I mean, we've been kind of discussing all year who would be their consistent third scorer outside of Beekman and Dunn. And I, I mean, I kind of still believe it, that it could be uh, McNeely to be the consistent guy, but certainly a good game from Miner. What do you expect in Virginia, uh, their matchup on the road against Georgia Tech this Saturday? You know, uh, Georgia Tech is a, is a Jekyll and Hyde type of team this year. Um they have at times I've seen games that I've picked up where they look dangerous. I mean, they beat Duke at the beginning of the year. However, since then they've been all over the map. I mean, all over it. And you know, there's so many new faces on the court for teams. It's almost impossible, you know, to keep track of anything without double checking the roster and the number and the name and. Um, I just don't have a good feel for Georgia Tech. I mean, they're they're two and four in conference. They are nine and eight overall. So it depends on what team you see. Now they had an interesting week this week. I think they won once, but then they lost, I believe. I think Virginia uh, has a good shot to, to break through on the road on Saturday. And uh, you know, you know, Virginia's due. I mean, let's face it. The the game's at six o'clock, so. The travel arrangements should not be too crazy for the Cavaliers. And this is a game they got to win, I think. And they'll come home, and I think they'll beat NC State at home. But they've, they've got to beat Georgia Tech on the road. Frank Maloney with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hot Seat. Of course, you can hear who's talking Mondays on 910 The Fan. Uh, Frank, you know, we talked in the offseason about losing Kihei Clark and, you know, the the experiment, I guess you could say, with Reese Beekman at the point guard. I think he's been really good with his assist numbers, but I feel like I'm seeing too many turnovers. Do you think UVA has somebody else that could run the point at times? Well, you know, it, it's definitely not Rody. Uh, <laughs> I mean, nothing against that kid. That kid's still got two more years, two and a half years more of basketball on the court. And I think he's a good contributor. Uh, he scores in unusual ways, but he's not a point guard. Yeah. What about say, Dante Harris? Well, you know, Dante Harris is finally healthy, and I've only talked about it for five and a half weeks. <laughs> I said, is, is this an ankle sprain? Well, let me tell you something. I did some digging prior to the game on Wednesday night. And I did, in fact, learn that it was not a high ankle sprain. It was something else. They wouldn't tell me what it was, but I was told it was something else. Now, uh, I'll tell you this. That young man, Dante Harris, played a whale of a game for a guy that's been out five and a half weeks. Uh, You know, his drives, his assists with no turnovers. I think he had five or six assists. And he made an amazing drive to the basket where – the entire defense did not know that he was already putting the ball into the basket. That's how he fooled everyone on the defense. And um, I, I like I like his upside, and if he can just stay healthy, that allows Beekman to move to the two and and let – it takes a little pressure, I think, off of Isaac McNeely, who I think has been stressing. And I think he, did, he, he never forced a shot on Wednesday night, so McNeely – He's perfectly capable of making 15 to 20 points against anybody, but teams are really focusing on him, and he, he's, he's getting freer. Now, the man that's not doing as much on offense as much as people probably expected, particularly the NBA scouts, and that's Ryan Dunn. Yeah. Dunn is, Dunn is a little lost right now uh, on offense. He's still playing great D. He's making steals just like, like uh, Bigman does. Reese Bigman makes steals all the time. 
But Dunn makes these crazy steals where he comes out of nowhere and a man thinks he's open or free and asks Couture about uh, Ryan Dunn. Several times he panicked when Dunn closed in on him, just threw the ball away. Uh, but I, I do think, uh, you know, the up the upside for Virginia is still there. They're not even close to playing to their potential. And uh, if they can find that, that chemistry, look out. Yeah, especially if they can get consistent play from the front court. UVA 12-5 and on the year, 3-3 and in the ACC with a chance to move above 500 at Georgia Tech this weekend. Frank, thanks so much for stopping by, man. Hey, 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 one second real quick. Yeah. I want to let you guys know that we have um, Anthony Solomon, former UVA guard and a longtime assistant coach, most recently with Notre Dame under on Mike Bray's staff, but Anthony Solomon – uh, is making a rare appearance on Who's Talking this coming Monday night at 6 o'clock. And we also have the new executive director of the VAF, Kevin Miller. And this will be a very interesting show on Monday night. That's awesome. Monday night, 6 p.m., always available for free on the Odyssey app. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD on the fans. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, new rule on 910 The Fan. On Fridays, we roll, broadcasting live from River City Roll here in Scott's Edition. Don't call River City Roll just a bowling alley. It is way more than that. You've got live entertainment. Uh, River City Roll beer is, is, is one of my favorites. In fact, anytime there's a football game on, you can get a $10 pitcher of River City Roll beer. Anytime there's a football game on, you're not going to get a better deal than that here around town. So come on out to River City Roll. Tell them AWOD sent you. And, of course, uh, we will talk commanders at 1 p.m. on the Richmond Commander. We'll go around the NFL pick winners. We still got AWOD certified game of the week, guaranteeing football fans around the country will enjoy viewing this contest. And, look, everyone thinks I'm going to go Chiefs-Bills. Everyone wanted me to go Chiefs-Dolphins last week, and I did, and turns out I was wrong. So I'm not going to lock in Chiefs-Bills as the certified game of the week. I do think there's another game out there that might surprise some people as the game of the week. Uh, but joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline for Don't Sleep on These Picks, presented by Don't Sleep Energy, is Drab T-Shirt from the Junkies. What's going on, Drabby? Richmond, what's going on? What's up, Adam? Hey, man, so let's talk about this bet with Valdez, all right? He's been doing yeah. a lot of bets lately. Now, I'm not sure that you know, but if the Ravens win the Super Bowl, he's driving to Richmond, and we will dye his hair Odell Beckham blonde on air. I mean, that's a crazy one. He's also giving away a signed Lamar jersey if they win. It seems like this guy is desperate for attention right now. He's so desperate for attention. First off, Valdez dyeing his hair at any point is a great idea because it's so gray at age 35, it's embarrassing. So he should dye his hair blonde, brown, yellow, uh, purple, red. It doesn't matter. He's got to do something with that gray hair. And so yes, the bet that they made on the junkies today was what? If the bet, on the, so Valdez, if you don't know, my, my, my partner, the co-producer on the junkies, if he, he's been so arrogant, adamant this week that it's impossible for the Ravens to lose to the Texans, it's a one-sided bet. His punishment will be, if the Ravens lose, he is going to get a tattoo on his booty cheeks that says, Lamar is booty. 
<laughs> That's a good one. I really like that. I'll be honest, though. I liked your original idea better of the guy that walks around New York City basically naked with a cowboy hat. That's a butt-funny visual. Well, no, Valdez is still going to have to wear the cowboy hat and the boots and, and, and the white briefs as well. Oh, and really? We're going to yank those briefs down when he gets the tattoo. Look, Valdez did this to himself. All I said is, you're anti-Houston, so if Houston beats Baltimore, we're going to come in here with a flank steak, we're going to dip it in, in barbecue sauce, and we're going to slap you in the face with it. The old slap bit that we like to do on the show. But someone tossed out the idea of Valdez getting a tattoo on his butt, and he said, okay. It's, insa- it's insanity. I don't know why he agreed to it. I was rooting for the Ravens until about 9.30 this morning when I said, I have to see this. I have to see this happen. Now I'm going for the Texans. Yeah, I mean, he's just so confident in the Ravens. But, hey, I am too. I do have a FanDuel ticket on the Ravens to win this Super Bowl. Drab, last week we were both in it together on the Rams. Now, I will say, I took the points and won. You were in on Rams' money line. Uh, Sean McVay kind of screwed us at the end of the game there. I don't know how they didn't end up kicking a field goal when they drove past, past the 50. Well, they were all the way down to the 40, maybe even the 35. And it's like, dude, get five more yards. They had, I think it was a holding penalty that knocked them back. And it, it, dude, we were so close. I mean, they yeah. were the Lions hardly scored any points. I, I, all this Ben Johnson hype is out of control. The Lions barely moved the ball in the second half. They should be out of the playoffs right now. The Rams had the opportunity to beat them, and they blew it. They cost me money because I stupidly bet the money line. But I had a terrible weekend, Adam. I, I mean, I was losing every bet left and right. Thank God for the for the Aussie Open. I'm getting it back. But the NFL killed me last weekend. So my lock of the week is actually Detroit to cover the six and a half point spread. Give me De- uh, not Detroit Bucks plus six and a half. I think like we were just talking about, Detroit was lucky to get past the Rams. Everyone's sleeping on Baker Mayfield being a football savant, and oh yeah, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is a defensive specialist. They are going to stop Ben Johnson and that offense with Jared Goff. Give me the Bucks plus six and a half. I do agree with that, and I think that the Bucks actually could win this game as well. I think it's going to be a close game, but it would be a lot of fun to see Detroit in the NFC Championship game. I mean, just a loser franchise finally coming up and, and having a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, if the Lions were in the Super Bowl, that, that would be a lot of fun. And yeah, I don't even like them, but it would be a cool story. Like Lions, Bills going for the, for the Super Bowl, like that would be must-watch in my opinion. Tampa really doesn't do anything for me as a, as a general fan, or not just a general NFL fan of not really rooting for them. They don't move me one way or another. They're just kind of always there. I like Baker, and I think the Bucks can win, but I think I want the Lions to win this game. What is your lock? Anybody the week, but San Francisco. For me, anybody but San Francisco. I'm not a Niners fan. I, like, I love the Seahawks. What is your lock of the week, then? My lock of the week, we're going to the AFC. I really think the Chiefs are toast. I think they're done. I, I, the Bills are a well-rounded team. They've won six in a row. Josh Allen's going to beat his rival now for the first time. I love Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes may be already a top three quarterback in NFL history. Like He is an absolute stud, and he'll probably do it again because that's just what he does. But I think the Bills are a more complete team right now. I think the Chiefs' offense really has some real issues. McDermott's going to figure out a way to shut them down. It's in Buffalo, so Mahomes has got to go on the road. I just don't think for four quarters they're as good a team as the Bills right now. So I like the Bills by two and a half, and I hope it's a great. You know, they've had some phenomenal games. Of course, that game a few years ago where they're going back and forth in the final minute. Uh, I wish this was the AFC Championship game. I really do, yeah. but. Um, 
I think the Bills are going to pull this one off, man. I think they could win by three to six points. This is Don't Sleep on These Picks, presented by Don't Sleep Energy. If you need the energy to stay up late and watch the NFL games, it's easy. Go over to don'tsleepenergy.com. Use the promo code AWOD radio to save some cash. Your picks might go busto, but you'll be loaded with gusto. Don't Sleep makes you great. They support AWOD radio and the boys behind the glass from bit season. Drab, let's get to your sports tilt of the week. My sports tilt of the week right now, Adam, is, and it's that time of the year, but I just feel like it's worse than ever. And I know you're not the biggest college football fan out there, but the the transfer portal – in the, in the coaching carousel is just driving me insane. These teams are being completely wiped out when a coach leaves now because there is no sitting out period. There's no penalty for players leaving. There's no penalty for coaches leaving. Buyouts mean absolutely nothing. So you had, you had Washington Huskies playing in a national championship game just over a week ago, and their coach leaves. Okay, fine. It's, I'm not happy about it, but it is the job probably in college football. He leaves to go to Alabama. But now every player on Washington is either leaving, graduating, or going in the portal. Like, their entire team is in the portal. They will have 11 new starters on offense next year. They had one of the most prolific offenses in the NFL. They will have an entire new offense because either guys are graduating or going to the NFL. Same on the defensive side of the ball. And guess what? So they steal Arizona's coach. What's going to happen to Arizona? Their players will all go in the portal. Arizona's coach takes San Jose State's coach. Their players will all go. It's just a never-ending, ugly cycle where if a, te- if a coach leaves the team, they all get completely wiped out. We saw it happen to Oregon State earlier in the winter. It just happens to every... It's happening to Alabama. Alabama players. I mean, look, Saban retired, so I just think that there needs to be a, a waiting out period. I'm all for players getting paid. Uh, maybe we need to cap it and figure that out, but just the, the constant free agency in, in college football is, is just, as the junkies say, Adam, it's ricking me right now. No, you're right, but something that tilts me with your love for college football is Drab likes Oregon... Notre Dame, Washington, Auburn, West Virginia. I'm sure I'm missing some schools. You've got like 10 teams you support. <laughs> I'm a Sun Devil. I like the Sun Devils, but, uh, you know, certain players, uh, and at certain times I kind of do root for other teams. But um, I, I, at my core, it's always Sun Devils first. I'm not a Washington Huskies fan. I don't like the Huskies, but I did like Michael Penix. <laughs> All right, my sports <laughs> tilt of the week, Drab. I know. Yeah, it is. My sports tilt of the week is... American men sucking at tennis. We're always losing early in the rounds, especially at the Australian Open. We're down to just two already. We're only past the third round. It's Taylor Fritz and Tommy Paul. And my favorite tennis player, Francis Tiafo, has just really fallen off since his U.S. Open run back in 2022. And John Feinstein said it back then. That was Francis Tiafo at his peak. And it kind of seems like Feinstein was right. It shouldn't be his peak. I mean, how old is he, Adam? He's like 25. Yeah, if, if yeah. that, I, I don't even know. Like, he, there's no reason he should have lost that match earlier this week. He was like a three to one favorite. It was, it wasn't. It, it, you can't lose that. Or yeah, he's 25 years old. You can't lose that early in a Grand Slam. Yes, I actually think Taylor Fritz is going to beat CC Poss on Saturday night. I actually might even watch that over Chiefs Bills. No, I'm just kidding. I won't. But I am intrigued. I will keep an eye on it on, on my phone. I'll probably bet on it. Fritz is, 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 is very good. But it is disappointing. I mean, tennis is such a great sport. I know most people don't care. But I want to go back to the days where we are dominating. It doesn't make any sense to me why we can't have a couple dominating male tennis players. It's so frustrating. We have the, uh, so many people in this country. Why can't we get a couple good tennis players? I think it's because tennis is so mental. And our athletes are soft, man. 
Uh, what you got to be an Eastern European cyborg to be good at tennis? Yeah, I mean you got to be like Novak Djokovic doesn't care about anything but tennis. You know, Taylor okay, Fritz cares about his freak, girlfriend and his model and yeah. stuff. You know. It's why, just, why, it's why are there so many good Serbian and Croatian tennis players? Is it just because they're just just robots? I think so. They're, they're cyborgs. <laughs> yeah, they, they really are. Anyways, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's frustrating, but I, before I die, Adam, we're going to see an American win another Grand Slam. <laughs> Hopefully in the next 50 years. <laughs> I'd love that. Bold Drab, thanks so Bold much, man. Claim by Drab T-shirt. <laughs> right, yeah. Enjoy your weekend, dude. All right, bud. Thanks for having me on. Yep, that was Drab T-shirt from the Sports Junkies for Don't Sleep on These Picks. Don't Sleep makes you great. Your picks might go busto, but you'll be loaded with gusto. Head over to don'tsleepenergy.com. Use the promo code AWOD Radio. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, broadcasting live from River City Roll here in Scott's Edition. Don't call River City Roll just a bowling alley. There's live music, entertainment, a really great beer deal. You can get a $10 pitcher of River City Roll beer anytime there's a football game on, chef-inspired menu. I was actually here last night, had the the double cheeseburgers really good. Uh, the chicken sandwich my friend got uh, is spicy and, and delicious. So some really good food here. Come on out to River City Roll this weekend. Tell them AWOD sent you. And the Green Bay Packers, I would say, are playing with house money after going to Dallas and defeating Big D, an incredible defensive performance as Dak Prescott had one of his worst games of his career against this Packers defense. And now they head to San Francisco for a tilt against the Niners. Joining us right now to preview the game on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, editor for Packers.com, it's Mike Spofford. What's going on, Mike? Not too much. How you guys doing? I'm good, man. I appreciate you joining the show uh, again. And, you know, before we get to, you know, this game uh, Saturday night, let's rewind to last week. I mean, what are a few things that you think led to the Packers dominating the Cowboys? Well, I mean, it, it you know, it started with just getting off to the fast start and marching right down the field on the opening possession, 75 yards, took about eight minutes off the clock. Really felt uh, the Packers kind of pounded away with the run, even though, they didn't bust any big runs on that opening drive, but they just stuck with it. And uh, I think they kind of put the Cowboys on their heels there. And then, you know, you get the interception from Alexander, sets up the second touchdown, and you get the pick six later in the second quarter from Darnell Savage. And, you know, suddenly you've got a big lead, and, you know, Dallas is completely out of their game plan, and uh, and the Packers are just looking to play ball control on offense. And, you know, really, the the offense had a hot day. The defense got those two big turnovers in the first half, and uh, um, you know the Packers were just in command start to finish. Yeah, I, I mean, you called it last week. You said, "Hey, if they can win the turnover battle and get off to a fast start, they've got a chance." So, what would you say are the keys to victory for Green Bay to steal a road win against the Niners? Well, you'd you'd love to be able to follow the same formula, of course. If it and if it were that easy, everybody could do it. You know, every week, but. Um, you know, you, you definitely, you definitely need to get, you know, a turnover to from, uh, from Brock Purdy. And he's been awfully, awfully good this season. He had the one, you know, really rough game against Baltimore and, you know, the Packers need to try to disrupt him, you know, in, in, uh, in similar fashion there. But, 
in order to do that, that starts with uh, that starts with trying to put the 49ers in some tough third down situations, and and that's not easy to do because you know they have McCaffrey, they can give the ball to Debo Samuel, you know George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, they have a lot of guys that uh, you know that they can move the chains with, and and you know I I think defensively for the Packers this game comes down to tackling. I mean the way the 49ers scheme their offense, all these different weapons you have to pay attention to you have to be able to tackle these guys one-on-one in the open field. If they break tackles, they'll kill you. And, and, uh, but if you make the tackles, it gives, it's going to give you some opportunities on third down to maybe get off the field. So that's what I see on that side of the ball. Offensively, you just want Jordan Love and these guys to, to keep doing what they're doing. I mean, this, this offense has, been, has really been on a roll for the last four games now. Um, rolling up big yards and a lot of points, and uh, you know they just they, they need to they need to stay in a rhythm, and and I think that rhythm starts with Aaron Jones. It's going to be a really interesting quarterback matchup between Brock Purdy and Jordan Love. And, you know, I've read a lot of articles about the Packers this season and Jordan Love, and all of them seem to point to that game on Thanksgiving against Detroit as the turning point. Something clicked there. What have you noticed from Jordan Love from Thanksgiving to now? Yeah, I just I, I think there's been the 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 growth of all the young players around him has mm-hmm. sort of coincided with his own growth as a quarterback. It's it's this offensive unit, quarterback, wide receivers, tight ends, a couple of young offensive linemen in front of him as well that have just kind of grown up together this season. And and you know it was hard to see the progress earlier in the year. Certainly, there were a lot of rough spots, a lot of rough games. But once the, once this group really started to grow together as a unit, you know, it started to take off. And then with that, Jordan Love has just been showing so much command at the line of scrimmage in terms of making the checks, you know, protection adjustments and, and you know, canning plays from maybe one call to another based on, you know, what LaFleur puts in his headset. And, and uh, you know, they've, they've been able to find a rhythm, getting the running game going, you know, setting up the play action, all of that. And, uh and as these young guys have grown together, you know, they've really started to look pretty dangerous. Mike Spofford with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, editor for Packers.com. And, Mike, I've been here in Richmond uh, for nearly two years now and very familiar covering UVA with wide receiver Dontavian Wicks. He's really stepped on the scene this season in Green Bay. Yeah, he absolutely has. He's been really, really impressive. And I think, I, you know, numbers-wise, I think he would have done even more if not for dealing with some injuries and whatnot along the way. But, uh, but he's, he's been really impressive. He had – there was a, a couple of games in midseason. He, he dropped a slant pass near the goal line against the Vikings, and then he had a play against the Rams where he caught a pass and then actually kind of fumbled on his own as he tumbled to the ground and, and created a turnover – and since those like two really negative plays for him, he's been absolutely outstanding. It's like he, you know, he used, I think he used those mistakes as fuel. He's, uh, he's shown really sure hands. He's running, he's running really good routes and, and Jordan Love trusts the heck out of him, you know, whether it's against the blitz, whether it's a, you know, a simple possession route to move the chains, whatever it might be. Uh, Dontavian Wicks has become a really, really big part of this offense. 
Mike, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the graphic everybody loves to talk about. 2012-13 Washington Redskins with Kyle Shanahan on the roster, Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, Matt LaFleur. How do you view Matt LaFleur as a head coach? I mean, it felt like for a time he was a rising star and then he, he didn't get enough credit. I, I feel like he deserves more credit for how this team moved on from Aaron Rodgers and just continued to have success. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that credit is going to start to come now that uh, the Packers are showing, have shown this, you know, down the stretch here with Jordan Love in his first year as a starter and with working in basically a whole new group of wide receivers and tight ends over the last two seasons. There isn't a single wide receiver or tight end on the Packers roster that they're working with right now that is, that's uh, more than a second year player. They're all either second year players or rookies. And, you know, what Matt LaFleur has been able to do, the progress that this offense has shown, I think that credit's going to come his way. You know, the, the narrative about, oh, you know, he, you know, he just won games because of Aaron Rodgers, et cetera, et cetera. I, you know, I, I thought that was kind of ridiculous to begin with. If you look at, you look back in 2019, LaFleur's first season with the Packers, you know, the defense was really a, a strong suit and there were some struggles on offense and Aaron Rodgers did not have a great season. And, but as he and LaFleur worked together, and they collaborated on what they wanted to do offensively. Then Aaron Rodgers won MVPs in 2020 and 2021. LaFleur deserves a little bit of credit for that because it's not like, you know, Aaron Rodgers was an MVP in 2019 when LaFleur first showed up. So um, I never really bought into that narrative to begin with, but for whatever, whatever credit he didn't get back then, I think it's going to start to come his way now with what he's doing with Jordan Love. How do you think Green Bay can take advantage of maybe a little rust with the Niners, you know, having had uh, last week off? Yeah, that's where I think the the fast start, you know, maybe kind of comes into play here because, you know, who who knows whether they're going to be rested or rusty, right? That's like the age old debate. And, and, but if the Packers get off to a fast start and kind of knock them on their heels a little bit, then, you know, see what, see what happens and see how they react. Uh, You know, if, if the 49ers are not in command of this game, which has, you know, their game has been to blow people out. I mean, they've, you know, they've won, they, I believe only one of their 12 wins this season was by only one score. So they take command of games. They pull away from people. They put teams away. If the Packers don't allow them to take command of the game right away, see how they react. And, uh, um, and maybe you can take a little bit of advantage of them not being able to find their rhythm right away. Mike, what is the Packers' history at Levi Stadium? Um, not great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, back in uh, back in 2019, um, the Packers lost a big regular season game there, uh, then went back there for the NFC Championship, and it was there because of the regular season result that year, and uh, and they got blown out. Um, then uh, in 2021, uh, the Packers actually pulled out a, a last-second victory on a long field goal by, by Mason Crosby. Aaron Rodgers, I think, had like 37 seconds or something like that on the clock, yeah. and, and no timeouts got the Packers into field goal range, and Crosby hit the kick, and, and Green Bay got the regular season victory there. But then that year in the postseason, San Francisco came to Lambeau Field and, and knocked the Packers out when the Packers were the one seed um, you know, with the bye and, and the 49ers were the wild card team that had kind of gotten rolling. So um, postseason wise, the, the script is kind of flipped this year in terms of the position of these two teams and the location of the game. So uh, so we'll see how things go. Going to be a good matchup of two historic NFL franchises. Mike, thanks so much for the time, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. No problem. Thanks for having me on. 
Yep, that's Mike Spofford, editor for Packers.com. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD on the fan. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. We've been going through the NFL divisional round games and talking with reporters for each team, getting you guys set up for the divisional round of the playoffs. But real quick, I did want to mention this Sports Illustrated story. It's just a sad day for for sports fans who used to love the magazine. Staffers at Sports Illustrated were notified, notified this morning of massive layoffs, some immediately, others in short time. After Authentic, the licensing group that purchased Sports Illustrated five years ago, terminated the agreement it holds with the Arena Group to publish Sports Illustrated in print and digital. Um, so it's just a, a terrible situation with Sports Illustrated. I know several people we have on the show or have had on the show work for Sports Illustrated, and they might now be out of a job. Chase Hughes covers the Wizards, not for Sports Illustrated, but on Instagram, Chase DC Sports, posted some of the best SI covers featuring DC sports teams for us to go down memory lane. First, I'll say, I will always remember the LeBron cover. Thought it was so cool. Great story by the late great reporter Grant Wall. I cut that you know picture out of the magazine, hunted on my wall like I used to do with all the great pics in that magazine. So it's just a sad day. Some of the uh, DC great Sports Illustrated covers: Mighty Maryland, Fear the Turtle with Juan Dixon after the Terps win the NCAA title. Power Strong, or Power Surge with RG3 in all caps after the Commander's run in 2012. There they go again. John Thompson, Patrick Ewing on a cover featuring President Reagan. Letter Rip, Mark Rippon after leading the Redskins to a Super Bowl. Uh, The Bullets. The classic confrontations, Gus Johnson's elbows, New York's Dave Debusier, Debusier, that's from October 1971, way before my time. National treasure, two games, two wins, 22 strikeouts, the start of Steven Strasburg's illustrious career here in Washington. Happy 40th, Michael, still growing strong at 40 when Michael Jordan was playing for the Wiz. How sweet is this? Alex Ovechkin on the cover, uh, smiling with the Stanley Cup after that championship run. Wow, what a super day for Washington's Doug Williams to come from behind win in the Super Bowl. And fight finished, finally, the Nats have their title featuring Strasburg, Anthony Rendon, and my favorite baseball player, Ryan Zimmerman. So if you want to go down memory lane, check out Chase Hughes on social media at Chase DC Sports. But joining us right now to continue our NFL conversation, they got a big win over the Browns. Now they're trying to get another win in the divisional round of the playoffs. Joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, Texans reporter Jonathan Alexander. What's going on, buddy? Hey, how's it going? I'm going good, man. So uh, let's go back last week, and uh, particularly the play that went viral, uh, which was D'Amico Ryan's on the sideline explaining to his young linebacker what to do, and then in the game, he did exactly what D'Amico said, got the pick and returned it for a touchdown. Yeah, that's just D'Amico. He's a teacher first and foremost. That's what he does. Um, He is still the defensive play caller. He has a heavy role in, in these players' development, and I think that's why he's been successful. You know, the players see that he's done it at a high level. He knows what he's talking about. They know that he cares, and they trust him. And when they trust him and they go out and do what he tells them to do, good things happen. And 
D'Amico had saw that on film. He had saw, watched the game, and he knew what the Browns were going to do, and he called it, and Christian Harris made the play. Yeah, no, it was an incredible play. And, you know, I expected the Texans' defense to be good this year, but I'm blown away with C.J. Stroud. I, I made the dumb statement on my show at the beginning of the season that none of the first-round quarterbacks would finish above 500 and make the playoffs. C.J. Stroud has, has made me put my foot in my mouth with his 23 touchdowns, five interceptions, leading the Texans to a 10-7 and record and here in the second round of the playoffs. Have you been impressed by C.J. Stroud, or did you see this coming when they drafted him number two overall? Well, no, I think that would be a reasonable assumption to make. I think most people did. I think I, I had them pegged at a about six-win team. You just looked at where they were last year, these particular teams, especially the Texans, second-worst team in the NFL. You just It, it would have been difficult, extremely difficult for them to turn around a team in such a short time. But credit to Nick Casario, credit to D'Amico Ryan, and credit to C.J. Stroud. You know, they – signs the right pieces that fit what they were looking to do. And C.J. Stroud has been better than advertised, even among the Texans. They didn't expect him to be as good as he is. They expected him to be really good, but I don't think they expected him to be able to command a locker room to be a leader in his first year. Think about it. He's like the youngest guy on this team, but yeah. he commands his team, and he's playing at a high level, and he has confidence that's through the roof, and that permeates through the locker room. Absolutely. I mean, some incredible throws this year, like off balance off his back foot, you know, 70 yards down the field. It's just been fun to watch. We got Jonathan Alexander with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Check him out on social media, John M. Alexander, covering the Texans in the NFL for the Houston Chronicle. Could you point to one or two weaknesses of the Baltimore Ravens that you think the Texans will try to take advantage of? Yeah, I think... Early on, I mean, the Tex the Ravens are, are, are a much different team. Um, I think where the Texans feel like they can have the biggest advantage is, is possibly maybe getting the running game going and then exploiting uh, the Ravens with some deep shots. That's how they've done all season. The Ravens are a great team top to bottom. They don't have many weaknesses, to be honest with you. But I think where the, the Texans think they can get maybe Deshaun Watson, who was – I mean, I'm sorry, not Deshaun Watson. Lamar Jackson was having an MVP – caliber season is they feel like that they can possibly speed him up a little bit if they speed him up and rush rush his his, his process and, and get a, guy, a lot of guys around him and get constant pressure on him they feel like that they can possibly um, take advantage of that but you know Lamar is playing the best football he's ever played and they know it's going to be a tough test they got to have eyes on him he can do a lot of different things he can throw he can run um, so it's going to be it's going to be tough it's going to be their toughest game of the season Jonathan, you tell me what you what you think of this. I think the key to the Texans, you mentioned Lamar having MVP season, is they, they can't let him going off for an explosive play, you know, right. let that turn into three or four backbreaking plays. Like he's going to have, you know, a 20-yard run or a third and 12 where he picks up the first down, but you can't let that affect you or the way that you rush with your gap integrity. We're, we cover the commanders here in Richmond, and Josh Allen did that to Washington where they, the, they converted three first downs the first drive, and it was like it stunted the way Washington uh, blitzed and got after him. So, you know, Lamar's going to make his plays here, but you can't let that affect you throughout the rest of the game. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, the Texans have been susceptible to deep plays this season throughout the year, and the Baltimore Ravens are going to test the, the Texans. I think last week was really a good 
barometer for the Texans. They got beat twice on explosive plays in that first half against the Browns. And then they came back and, and they could have laid out, they could have let it get out of hand, but they turned it around. And they were dominant in the second half, which led to that 45-14 to 14 win. So, yeah, you're exactly right. I agree 100%. They've got to limit explosive plays. And if explosive plays do happen, they got to stay the course and, and continue to play their game. Yeah, and Houston, hopefully Houston can come up with their own explosive plays. You know, with this wide receiver core here, who would you point to as the guy that could go off for the Texans in a win? Uh, definitely Nico Collins. He's been their most consistent wide receiver. At one point during the season, they had two wide receivers who could go off at, at any moment, Tank Dell and Nico Collins. But Tank Dell is out for the season um, with a fractured fibula. But Nico Collins has been that go-to guy despite. Uh, he had 191 yards in a win and get in a game against the Colts in week 18, and then I think he had 96 yards against the Browns, who had the number one ranked pass defense in the league. The guy is good. The guy can beat you in a multitude of ways. The Ravens are going to have to put a lot of attention on him. One thing that all of the teams left in the playoffs have in common is a star at tight end. How have you been impressed by Dalton Schultz? Yeah, I think Dalton Schultz at times has been really good for them. Like against the Bengals game earlier in the season, I think that was week nine for the Texans, one of their biggest wins of the season. Dalton Schultz came up huge, had a couple of big catches on the game-winning drive to help uh, them uh, seal that win. Uh, at times, though, they've had to use him in the uh, pass protection because their offensive line has struggled. And they ideally would like him more in the passing game because he is a weapon. And eventually teams are going to put a lot of focus on Nico Collins. So that's where Dalton Schultz has to come in and step up. And he's certainly capable of that. He's certainly played like a top 10 tight end. Uh, he's on the final year of his deal to be a free agent. So he has a lot to play for. Jonathan, if the Texans are going to go to Baltimore and defeat the top team in the AFC, you think it would be in a rock fight, defensive battle, or more likely in a shootout? I think it's going to be a shootout, to be honest with you. I know how good the Ravens are at defense. I know they give up the fewest points per game. But something just tells me it's going to be a pretty high-scoring game, something like a 30-27, to 27, and whoever has the ball last is going to be the winner. Well, I hope it's as exciting as 30-27. to 7. That, that 27, that sounds great. Jonathan, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yep, good stuff. That's Jonathan Alexander covering the Houston Texans for the Houston Chronicle. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD on the fan.